there's sort of the, there's, there's, you know, there's a tripod of life. Um, and if any one leg is going to go out of balance, yeah, you can maintain that for a little while, but then you can't do that for an extended period of time. And for me, that, that tripod is work, family, and some sort of recreation, some sort of outlet, some sort of, uh, whether it's collecting stamps or riding bikes. Um, and so sort of coincidentally and conveniently, there is a huge crossover in that, in that my work is riding a bike, my recreation is riding a bike, and my wife loves riding a bike, and it's a huge part of her work-life balance as well. KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on today's episode, we have an interview with professional cyclist, entrepreneur, race director, father of Hazel, husband to Laura, the king of gravel himself, Mr. Ted King. There's also some local races that we uh, are going to talk about, but before we get into all of that, Sheldon, I heard a rumor that you went on a ride on a bike that wasn't a drop bar bike. Is this true? So Confirm or deny. (laughs) (laughs) There are often rumors surrounding me. Uh, This one is true. I, uh, yeah, I, I got an invite. I was at work last week. My boss, Chad, was like, yo. Do you want to go mountain biking this so weekend? So legitimately mountain biking. Legitimate. I don't think I've ever seen you on a bike that's not like a, a gravel Dude, bike or road squish. bike. It's bar with straight. I didn't know what to do. do you, yeah. Do you know what to do with straight bars? No. Dude, Did you, you have should, to have like I a quick shifting. tutorial on the shifters and how the brakes uh, work? Uh, dude, I, for the first half hour, I was shifting all over the place. Like I was always going <laughs> up, going down, never knew where I was going. But uh, yeah, we went out to Pato. Uh, we did the first half of Pato. So Potawatomi Trail is like kind of a, a local, so famous trail here in um, kind of on the east side of Michigan. It's a t- uh, yeah, it's kind of a rooty, you know, Midwest yep. style trail. And then so we did the first loop of that or first half of that. Shot out and probably uh, six or seven miles of gravel road. Rode over to DTE, which anybody in the area knows DTE is modern style flow kind of completely contrast to pato yeah this is um like machine made yeah uh, it's it's, super flowy it's a roller coaster uh well thought out yeah but but we've been telling you sheldon (laughs) that you need to get a mountain bike that you need to ride a true mountain bike for years and now that you've experienced this uh is there like a mountain bike in your future i want to I want a mountain bike. <laughs> I had so much fun. We so, did 60 miles. Um, what what mountain bike? You were riding one of Chad's bikes, Yeah, right? I was on uh, Chad's uh, Kona Hanzo. So it's uh, a... The uh, CRDL. Which, carbon hardtail. Hardtail, yeah. I think it's about 100 millimeters of squish in the front. Mm-hmm. It just... It rode like It might dream. be more. I feel like it's more. Maybe it's a 120? Yeah. I no. thought it was 100. It might be a 120. I'm not... I don't know. Um... But yeah, after about a half hour of kind of getting, you know, situated with the bike and like kind of learning to trust what it was capable of, by the time that we got to Sugar Loop and DTE, I was just 
having a ball. It's awesome. Um, and then I burnt all my matches and <laughs> still had to ride another hour out. And the last two miles were me just dying. So how many hours of single track were you doing? I think it was like four and a half hours. Four and a half hours, sixty-ish miles, something yeah. like that. That's a big. That's a big mountain bike ride. Solid. Yeah, it, it was a very fun day. Uh, I am clearly feeling it right now. That's why I'm just drinking beers to numb the pain. <laughs> Eye opening though, right? Like he said. Oh, I, yeah. I was like, damn. N plus one. Yeah. <laughs> There's always something else, man. You always need a new bike. Like, what is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, very but, cool. Uh, you rode on Saturday. So yeah, like like I said earlier, there were a couple gravel races that happened in the last couple weeks i think we can work our way backwards we worked from sunday my ride okay saturday's your ride saturday um we had the cow pie classic in ionia michigan previously we have talked to our friend joe cantwell who put this on um and uh this is part of the gravel race series michigan gravel race series Right now, it seems like it might be only one of a couple <laughs> that are part of the Michigan Gravel Race Series that actually went on. But Joe worked really hard with the local, um, with with the local city and everything to make this a and safe w- and an an actual race for us to come do. He was super transparent about his entire process too. He, yeah, I, he kept I, people posted throughout about how to do it, and he had. There were some major details that went into um, making this happen. So we were all distant from each other, started in waves, but even within the waves, you're distant from each other. And you kind of had like a, he kind of put you in a box and you had a marker where that's where you stood and mm-hmm. waited for so uh, waited for the start time. And then there were um, different start times for, for different people. Um, so it all, it kind of worked great. I thought it worked like clockwork and people were really supportive of that and respectful of the, the process. It was kind of funny because you and I joked previously, like it, was, it seemed difficult on paper. So you're saying once you were there and once it was implemented, it was, it was, yeah, r- reading it. And I think even like made a, a video of, of how it all worked. It, it did seem complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, once you got there, it made sense. Cool. It, it really made sense, and it, and it, I thought it worked. I, I thought it worked well from my perspective. Hopefully, from his perspective, everything went well. Um, but I, I know that in the last few weeks, because it was one of the handful—not even a handful, actually—one one of the only couple mm-hmm. Michigan gravel races that it, it sold out. And um, he which is had, great. It's only their second year. It's fantastic. So because of that, though, you had some some fast people coming out. On both sides, on the, on the women and the men's side, um, and it was just like it was. It was cool. It was like seeing all the people that you see in all these different races and uh, that social life we've missed all year. Exactly, but all kind of. <laughs> it was like the uh, the the gravel state championships. <laughs> <laughs> he should have just made a state championship. It should have been. been like, this is it. <laughs> so it was great. You know, listen, Joe did a great job. Um, the course was fantastic. Um, did you ride through any cow shit? <laughs> so he, it was it was hilly. It was punchy. You rode through a, uh, a, a an actual farm. Joe kind of talked about this when we interviewed him, mm-hmm. and he uh, yeah. You go through the farm. You go through the field, and then you kind of go through the woods, kind of single tracky. And it was a gr- that was a great little section. But he actually there was all sorts of cow pies that <laughs> that you would ride by, and he marked them with with uh, like bright orange. <laughs> 
<laughs> spray paint <laughs> so you could see some of them he didn't mark so but <laughs> yeah it depends how fresh they are right? i'm guessing the fresher they were the less they were marked <laughs> and the worse they were to ride through <laughs> i luckily did not ride through any cow pies but no but you did have a mess app well there there were a few things that kind of went awry but um it wasn't my it wasn't the best day for me um the the farm happened a little earlier than i expected it to mm-hmm. and which i could have solved by just like looking at the course i i didn't do that like a wait, wait, wait we, we didn't that happen at the state championship last year for us not looking at the course not knowing like where the finish was yeah and just like pop out Oop, yeah we're done it, it's, it's things that like successful people do <laughs> they prepare and so hence i wasn't that successful <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so the damn you planning <laughs> the the farm came earlier than I thought, and um, I'm so terrible at the technical stuff. And once we got in the woods, I was just like slow and whatever, and I just lost the front group there. Mm-hmm. We we got out of the farm, and I was with maybe three or four guys, and we were just taking turns rotating, and we were we had the the front group at like a the same gap for miles. We just mm-hmm. kept seeing them. They didn't really get much further. We didn't get much closer. And then we ended up taking a wrong turn. And it was like, listen, we just, there's no way that we're going to catch them now. So me and those guys worked pretty well together for a bit until we were on a paved road, of all things. And snap, I broke a spoke. No. (laughs) So so needless to say, they kind of sat up a little bit, waited for me. But I kind of had to check my bike, make sure it was fine. And I couldn't catch them after that. So I was alone. Um, uh, from that point on, which was fine. Um, but it, all of this stuff, it sounds like I didn't have the best race, but I, I still, I loved it. It was a great course. The weather was perfect. Weather was perfect. And, uh, after the spoke thing, um, I had a little bit of wind in my face, but, um, I don't know. I, I was fine riding by myself mm-hmm. and just did that until the end. And, um, I still had a, a, a great experience. And then your bar tape came off. That was a whole other thing, yeah. Like by the end, um, I don't know if I was just gripping for dear life or, or what, but my <laughs> both sides, both sides, just my bar tape, just, it was like I had streamers on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, whatever. It was a, it's probably a good analogy for my. Hey, but you got a, you got a good day in the saddle, and it was it was saw great. a bunch of people, and yeah, saw saw a lot of um, a lot of people. So um, yeah, uh, Sarah Williams, who was on the podcast, she. She did a great job. Uh, Emily Molesky, who we've had on, um, I think she came in first of the the short haul. Um, and then uh, Alex Tenelshoff, who we who we've talked to, he he rocked it and, and took first took first on the the long haul. Um, and then Tori Kane won uh, the long haul for the women's for the women's. Yeah, it was just it was it was a great event. And um, and then there was the week before we had. The Fast Fitty in, yep. in Charlotte, Michigan, which sponsored by Spin, and uh, that was another one of these races that brought out a lot of fast people because there's nothing else to <laughs> no, there's no other, no other events. Yeah. Yep, and um, I didn't ride that one. You didn't ride that nope, one. I had to work that. But day. we heard it was savage. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough course. We've... No, no, I'll, I'll take this back. We didn't ride the event. No, we've ridden the course. But we've ridden the course and. We both agree. It's it's, it's a tough course. It's, for a 50-miler, it's hard. The um, We rode it a few days before the event, and it was dry. 
and loose. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the combination with how hot it was that day, um, it, it hit a lot of people hard. <laughs> well, and you could tell that it hadn't been graded since our last big rain, probably mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, because there were, it was the old washouts, but now we're dry and it just made for some of those sections were just, and it's punchy. It's so I am, I was surprised both with fast Fitty and Charlotte and then, um, cow pie and Ionia. It's mm-hmm. not too far from the Lansing area, but no. the the hills that they have, they're pretty great. They're not Lansing. They're not Lansing. <laughs> Lansing's yeah. flat. Lansing's very flat. So um, yeah, that was another great great event. Um, heard it was very successful. Um, people, it it was tough. People had to work hard for it. Which I heard, is I heard SAG was busy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there were some people being picked up. Yep, but a lot of our friends did it. Um, Kellen Caldwell, I think he won mm-hmm. the overall men, and uh, Jennifer Reschke took uh, first overall for the females. So yeah, so some actual racing the last couple weeks here in Michigan. It felt mm-hmm. like a normal summer weekend month, um, but now I don't know if there's going to be much more. I know Sancho is planning on happening. Mm-hmm. Sancho's another like a smaller race. Yeah, I mean in the Traverse City area. Last so, year there was only like seventy something people. So I think that can work. Um, and then you just read the the Dirty Thirty. Dirty Thirty is it's still ten, it's tentatively tentatively thinking that they might actually be able to have a race. Yeah, and that's so, another Ionia one. Or uh, no, it's not. It's Saranac. Saranac. Oh, so kind of uh, close yeah. to the same area. Similar. So there may be more racing, there may not be, but um, I'm just happy that in the last couple of weeks we had some legitimate racing to talk about and to uh, uh, participate in. So, Speaking of racing... Speaking of racing... Let's talk to the king of gravel racing. Folks, if you are listening to our podcast, if you have listened to our podcast in the past, chances are you know who Ted King is. If you don't know who Ted King is, I'm not quite sure why you listen to our podcast. <laughs> Ted King. No, you literally just talked to my mom. She listens to the podcast. She doesn't know who Ted <laughs> King is. Sometimes I wonder if it's just our parents listening to. Yeah, it's like, man, that's a lot of hits out of Lance. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ted King. What more can we say? He is a multiple winner of DK200. Um, and just he works hard to put gravel, the national gravel scene on the map. And uh, he is a he's a great spokesman for the sport. Yes. And, uh, you know, the style of gravel riding. We have been hoping to talk to him for a really long time. We and actually it just, worked at it for quite a while. Yeah, we did. And and he's just been great to to make this all work and now it it finally happened the stars aligned we talked to ted king and so why don't we just get right into our interview with the king of gravel mr ted king nice to meet you guys thanks for the the patience um (laughs) are you guys in person together are you calling in separately or how's that work well, we started off the year uh, when Michigan was in its deep quarantine. We were doing it separate, but uh, things have kind of lifted a little bit here, so we're actually together in person now. Yeah, Sheldon nice. and I have kind of we've we've kind of uh, decided that we'll be a part of each other's quarantine, if you will, and uh, uh-huh. have been uh-huh. ri- riding a little bit together, and uh, you know, just kind of keep doing some of these podcasts together. So yeah, it's been it's been nice. So 
Very cool. Well, thank you for, <laughs> again, being patient with me. This is cool. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, no problem. I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's great to be able to, to talk with you. And, and even when you're amongst, uh, or in the, in the middle of a, of a huge van trip or, or living van life, um, for you to find the time for us. I mean, that's, thank you so much. <laughs> really appreciate it. <laughs> So Pleasure. You, so you're doing the van, the van life with a newborn. Whereabouts are you right now? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, we jumped right in. We, uh, you know, I got to think where we are. We're in <laughs> Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, we've, I, I say that the pandemic is basically the cause of the, the, the entire van experience. I mean, initially... So we had our daughter Hazel um, in early March and basically two days later, the world went into lockdown and, you know, I think like everybody else, we sort of thought it was going to last a few months and therefore by midsummer things be fine. But obviously it shows no signs of slowing down. Um, Laura, my wife, her whole family is out in Seattle. And so as summer sort of rolled around, we said, you know, we got to figure out a way to get out to Seattle to have Hazel be introduced to that whole side of the family. Um, Cause it is, you know, it's amazing how quickly uh, a, a human being, a baby, does grow up. Um, I mean, she goes from largely just eating, sleeping, pooping to, to making eye contact and oogling and just like there's so much interaction that I really didn't appreciate until I, I became a father. Um, so this is the really long-winded way of saying Laura and I had talked about getting a van for a long time. Um, truth be told, there's probably a good chance we never would have gotten it were it not for covid Hazel, not wanting to get on airplanes, so on and so forth. And so we've made the trip out west, and now we're making a slow pilgrimage back east. Now, when you when you left the east coast, did you just do a straight drive out, or did you kind of do some vacationing on your way out? Great question. We, we beelined it to um, basically to Spearfish, uh-huh. uh, South Dakota. So call that sort of smack in the middle of the country. Um, we... We're in no hurry to to embrace all that Western New York and, and Illinois and Chicago had to offer. Um, I say that sort of in jest, but... Well, thank you for you skipping know, Indiana because uh, <laughs> that, that's Trevor's home state and we, we like to say, uh, just skip Indiana. All right, all right. Well, I mean, so the with COVID, I mean, things are, are so closed down. So even if we wanted to do some sort of culture, cultural experience, like go to a museum or go where traditionally people would go on vacation as they're, as they're driving across the country. We said, no, let's beeline it, uh, to some Western States. So that also being said, I've made it a really good way to, to not zigzag, but connect the dots across the country visiting sponsors. So we spent a day, not a day, we spent an evening in Chicago and saw friends at SRAM, um, went to Madison, saw friends at Saras, uh, cork is located in, in spearfish. And so, uh, Renee hair is my tire sponsor out in Seattle. Yeah. We wanted to see the wild, wild West, um, spearfish for just a day. And that was super cool to do some great camping. And then from there to, uh, whitefish, Montana, which is super cool place. Neither of us, Laura and I had been to, um, Montana before. That was great. Then zip down to Ketchum, Idaho, visit Rebecca rush for a little bit. Um, and then we made it to Seattle. So, yeah, basically once 
once we knew that we were going to have allow Hazel to see the the her mother's side of the family, then it became less of a rush to get to Seattle uh, uh, on a very short term basis. Sure. So, um, so this is I'm assuming is this like your first van life experience that you and Laura have done, or you have done? Yeah. And great, great question. Yep. So and uh, so you just felt why not wait until you have a newborn to do it, right? <laughs> Bingo. Yeah, we said, let's let's jump into the deep end. Let's see what this whole van life is all about. Um, and it came together in a, in a pretty fortuitous fashion. Um, my, when, when we had the idea that we weren't going to get on a airplane, then we, we started to do a bit of research on, uh, on vans and van life. And my goodness, that is a, that's a Pandora's box that <laughs> we started dabbling in. And it was just, it was daunting. Um, so let's see what happened. I, I put the feelers out. I mean, a friend drove up to our house. Uh, he lives in Boston, so fairly close by to where we are in Vermont. He is a completely tricked out van. And I was like, man, hey, Tom, you want to you wanna let us borrow your van? And he said, well, if it weren't for COVID and if it weren't for a summer of, of adventure, I probably would uh, take it on. a. I mean, I'd probably let you use it. Two days later, a very good friend of Tom's called us up and said, hey, uh, we don't have ours on the market yet, but we're going to be selling our van. So... Long story short, we bought this van from a friend. You know, it's nice to buy a, a vehicle from a trusted friend instead of potentially buying a lemon. Um, he's a cyclist. He'd already tricked out a lot of the accoutrements. I mean, it had the, it had a bed, it had uh, a fridge, it had the the trays for the bikes. So, this is all to say, it would have been really nice to like go on some shorter trips, do a weekend trip, do a week long <laughs> trip instead of saying, "All right, let's go." Basically, minimum month and a half. Um, but we're making the most of it and have, have probably not overpacked nearly as badly as we potentially could have. Um, yeah, this is, this is our first go of van life. What, uh, what were some of the first shocks and, uh, the learning on the road of living out of a van for an extended period of time? (laughs) Uh, Laura would admit that she nearly called it quits the first night. Um, We, so I've driven across the country, oh, beats me, a half dozen times or more. And I've always done it either alone or with my brother. And, you know, there's a pace of, of doing things when you're alone or with your brother where it's like, all right, beeline it, survive on <laughs> beef jerky and coffee. And, you know, you make, you make it from point A to point B. Um, what I have learned and what I would suggest to anybody with a newborn is, a happy baby makes a happy wife and a happy <laughs> wife makes for a happy life. So, um, yeah, it doesn't mean when you stop to get gas that you're sprinting off to, to do, you know, errands X, Y, and Z in order to jump back in the car and be ready to go. It means when you stop for gas, you should anticipate at least a half hour, sometimes an hour, like get resituated, get Hazel happy. Of course, change your diaper, uh, feed her, yada 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 so that you can you can put in another big strong leg during the next leg but there's no sense in rushing in between legs um and yeah the 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 short answer of (laughs) the short backstory as to why laura almost aborted on day one we left late in the day it was probably four in the afternoon um we were back in vermont we're like you know what all right we're finally packed up let's just hit it instead of waiting for tomorrow morning and we were under the impression that 
so we made it to Syracuse, New York. I was under the impression that you can camp in any Walmart, <laughs> being that we're <laughs> being that we are uh, uh, van life rookies. It turns out you can only camp in in Walmart's that approve uh, RV camping. So first we roll into one. It's like nine o'clock at night. We roll into one. That's clearly not the case. I I fire up you know Google Maps or whatever it is, and I find a pilot truck stop. And when you get to the west basically anything west of Chicago, pilot truck stop is, that's a big, well-known truck stop. Mm-hmm. I had never seen one on the East Coast, and so I was very surprised to see one in Syracuse. We then drove, you know, across town to pilot truck stop, which is, with all due respect to Syracuse, it is certainly the ghetto. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not, like, there are there are cars on cinder blocks. Um, there's all sorts of nefarious activity late in the evening. I was like, nope, not camping here. Um, what do we end up doing? We ended up, Getting this was great. We got back on the highway and went to like a service stop, um, which is kind of the northeast equivalent of a truck stop. And so you know we have the echo of the highway literally uh, 20, 20 yards away. Um, but we slept great. And when you roll over out of bed and, and drink some coffee in the morning, and you're able to hit the road and you're on the road, it's within twenty yards. It it, it all works out. So um, yeah. So, little learning curves like that. Good. So one more van life question, uh, and then we'll move <laughs> on. Um, how many bikes did you pack for this this uh, trip? Terrific question again. We have we have four bikes. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, between, I thought it might be four. Yeah. So if it were if I were doing the trip alone, if Laura were doing the trip alone, we'd probably bring three bikes so maybe six bikes a piece would be ideal but then you know it's all about consolidation and, and yada 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 so we each have full suspension uh cannondale scalpel mountain bikes and then we each have our cannondale super x gravel cyclocross bikes but then we have six sets of wheels so we have your <laughs> your your mountain bike wheels and then uh we have our gravel slicks and gravel knobbies so all said and done it works remarkably well uh it does get a little bit cozy when you know it's like ah shoot i gotta access the bike that's in the middle i need to change the wheels the wheels are located over here but i mean i'm 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 creating my own uh complaints here we have we have a very (laughs) sweet setup so very cool there's your answer four bikes so um before we get too much further and i'm hoping that most of our listeners would be aware of who you are maybe follow you and know of your um well just uh your part in this gravel scene and the in the united states gravel scene and all that but could you just give us a quick um maybe a little bit of background to your your cycling life and how that all started very quick it doesn't have to we don't have to get into big details sure please cut me off if i get too long-winded um got into cycling in college um studied econ at a small liberal arts school where basically your next step is to go to wall street and that did not interest me in the least so i thought eh, yeah i'll see what if i can you know have a go at this pro bike racing thing um <laughs> this was the year was 2005 which is sort of the end of the heyday of domestic road racing like there were domestic pros getting paid six figures um so it was it was a good time um admittedly my first pro contract i got paid zero dollars so you know (laughs) there was a big span in 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 things and don't think for our domestic pros these days that it was it was all glory days so 
Yeah, raced three years domestically, made the leap to Europe. That final year in America, I was a top-ranked American in the North American standings. Raced for Cervelo Test Team for a couple years, and then onto Liquid Gas, which became Cannondale Liquid Gas, which became Cannondale Pro Cycling. And then my final year was uh, Cannondale Garmin, which is the slipstream operation. Mm-hmm. Um, retired in 2015. I'd raced for 10 years, didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I, I I wanted to keep a thread of the bicycle in my life. I wanted to either be a mentor or a coach or just have remain in the sport in some capacity, but I still thought at that point I'd, you know, ping that Middlebury network and say, hey, you know, what can I do in finance or, or try to use that degree? And sponsors had reached out early in that final year that I was racing, uh, beginning with Cannondale, saying like, hey, you have a nice voice. You have a nice uh, a platform. You have a good audience. Would you be interested in, in staying in the sport? And at that point, I feel like even in 2015, the term ambassador would be very new. Sure. Um, I feel like gravel was hardly a term there. Certainly gravel pro was not a term that anybody had ever uttered. And I wish no one would ever utter it ever again. Um, <laughs> so that first year, 2016, the first year of retirement, so to speak, it was it was a lot more product launches. It was a lot more... Um, R and D and working with working with companies purely on a ambassador side, um, going to pop up events and and it's certainly so. Sorry, as it relates to gravel, I Rebecca Rush in, invited me early on in the year. She said, "Hey, hey, Rody, you got to come check out this gravel thing. Um, come to Dirty Kansas." And I did, and I had success there, and I, I won that race and. Uh, I think, you know, gravel was going to boom with or without me, but I, I certainly won Dirty Kansas at a good time. Um, and it's it's sort of just snowballed and grown since then. You know, the, you, you mentioned gravel pros and how you, you're not a big fan of that. But um, uh-huh. I, I see a kind of a, a little difference between – and may, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, – your intro or your your beginning into gravel versus someone like uh, like Stetna, um, mm-hmm. that, that was all, that, that's like Stetna's path seemed like a, a, a definite choice. And maybe, maybe I don't want to miss it, miss uh, I don't want to speak for him, but it seemed like he made a choice to to ride and race gravel. Um, mm-hmm. Yours kind of just uh, it kind of just kind of came up and like it was organic. It, yeah, it was a little more organic, I guess. Yeah, um, I wouldn't disagree with that assessment at all. Yeah, Pete, most certainly, he he made a conscious decision to step away from road racing, and I I I have a podcast, King of the Ride podcast, and I I had him on as a guest in 2019. He had just raced the Ardennes Classics, and it was right before uh, he won Belgian Waffle Ride. And at that point, I feel like he was you could you could read it i mean he didn't say anything explicitly and and maybe if things had gone differently in contract negotiations or this that or the other he would still be racing a little bit of a split schedule but yes he he consciously said i'm gonna stop racing on the road and i'm gonna race uh this whole alternative thing yeah mine is my whole career was this evolution and unfolding and and basically doors opening and and me stepping in and sort of jumping at an opportunity um i mean i can i can go through my entire career that way it was I got into cycling because my older brother got into cycling. I had success through collegiate cycling and, and, you know, got an invitation to go race on the national team in Europe. So I I said, cool, that sounds like fun. Um, 
those contacts they made on the national team allowed me to to get my first domestic pro contract. I had success there, and like I said, that winning winning the NRC um, opened up doors to to uh, Cervelo Test Team that said, "Hey, we want to have a North American." So I was sort of a natural choice. So yeah, come to retirement and Cannondale, beginning with Cannondale and Ceram and Zip and, and all these sponsors saying, "Hey, can you?" can you stay in the sport? Are you interested in staying in the sport? I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a really cool opportunity. So yeah, it's been a, a characteristic of my whole career and it's served me well. So it's not something I'm going to fly in the face of anytime soon. So I find it really interesting, especially you uh, at the time that you came into gravel, getting into the, uh, into the gravel scene at the time that you did, when you won Dirty Kanza, it was not a household name. Like now, you say Dirty Kanza in any bike household, and, and well, every, I, people not, know it. I'm not quite sure we're supposed to say Dirty Kanza, actually. Oh, <laughs> right. Uh, oh, the race DK. formerly known as yeah, DK, formal, yeah. yeah. Um, or Kanza or what? I don't know what. But then, it, as you kind of grew into this uh, role in the gravel scene, I mean, you not only took up the mantle of of a cyclist, you also had to do kind of your own marketing. Um, coming from the you know in the road world there's a little bit more media coverage um can you kind of talk a little bit about how you kind of had to take on these multiple roles of managing yourself not just as an athlete sure yeah i um i i feel like i was an unintentional early adopter of a lot of social media meaning if you go to a small liberal arts school in, in New England in the early 2000s, then Facebook is going to be on your radar when it was only, you know, it started in Harvard and then it went to a small liberal arts school throughout New England and then it, it, like, it went to high schools and then it went to everybody. So being on board Facebook early was something. And I am by no means promoting Facebook because the Mark Zuckerberg juggernaut uh, needs to be controlled. Well, you're, um, you're going to get zucked for that. You know, there's, there's 30 yeah, exactly. days right there banned. <laughs> Good. He can, he can ban my account. Um, Strava. Strava started in New England. And so I had, you know, a New England cycling connection that, that got me connected there relatively early on. Um, I was using Instagram. I look back at my early Instagram photos, much like we all do. And I was like, man, I can't believe I had it that long ago. Um, thinking of it as, you know, the new recent hip thing. Um, so but my point is I was using it through my career a bit and yeah, you're completely tempered on, on what you're supposed to say. There's not like explicit schooling and what you're supposed to say and what you're not supposed to say when you're on a world tour team. But yeah, I mean, you, there are things that you consciously know that you should and shouldn't say. Whereas now in retirement, not retirement in career 2.0, um, yeah, I'm my own marketing voice, and you hope that you're not in a in a silo or, or in a forest and a tree falls and, and no one's there to hear it. Like you need to you need to reverberate messages and you need to to speak on behalf of sponsors and behalf of the things that you stand by and 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 you know create this voice. So there's that side of it for sure. My um, I have an agent that I had through the second half of my my world tour career um Joao Correa and he's he's a very good friend he's a trusted confidant he's he's a former pro he's he's I see the most connected per- person in the sport of cycling like if you want a dinner with Eddie Merckx he's the person you'd call up and you'd figure out a way to do it um 
I maintained a relationship with him and he, he, he become, he still is my sponsor. Uh, sorry, my sponsor. He's my agent now. So the, you know, it, you need to keep professionalism in the sport of gravel as well as gravel is just booming. It can't just be, um, a fly by night shoot from the hip operation. So I'm really glad to have him, um, in the uh, contract negotiations. So, I mean, he just handles all that side so that I'm, um, I'm able to speak the positivity, speak the, the, the good things about the brand. Um, so yes, it is night and day, a world of, of world tour racing to a world of, uh, professional. I don't even want to say it. Um, <laughs> ambassadorship. And I mean, this is going to be a bit of a tangent, but you know, gravel riding and ambassadorship is one big aspect of what I do, mm-hmm. but um, um, towards the end of my career, I, I co-founded Untapped, the sports nutrition company. Um, so that takes a huge portion of my time. Um, I have a small coaching outfit. I coach uh, between six and eight people at a time. So, you know, that takes a good deal of bandwidth. And then in the very short term, I have a child and that <laughs> takes an enormous amount of bandwidth as well. So, um, yeah, I, I treat riding and racing as, as seriously as I can and as I want to, but, um, it's really nice to have stepped away from the, the seriousness and the, the marginal gains that are professional cycling. And now basically, you know, you can't not say it, but like drink the beer, drink a recovery beer instead of ever having a protein shake. Um, so I did, I, it's, I, I kind of do want to, uh, ask about this and, and all of these things you're talking about, um, being a uh, an entrepreneur, or a business owner, um, a, uh, a an ambassador for your sponsors, doing your social media, uh, uh, training, being a father, how are you balancing all of these different parts of your life? I got another one for you. Also, okay. event event co promoter. Right. Exactly. Um, my, my wife and I started Rooted Vermont. Right. Um, it is a balance it is i don't have a good answer um (laughs) i for one it's the only thing i know and i know hustle and hard work and and you know bootstrapping things and just sort of making things work with with hard work um there are a handful of days where I'm like, man, it'd be really nice to, to just have a nine to five and be able to get your 401k and your, your pension and, you know, be able to check out at the end of the day. Whereas, so to answer the exact question, I, you start every day with a to-do list, you have it prioritized in some way. Um, you go throughout the day trying to fit in everything you possibly can so that by the end of the day, the to-do list has somehow shortened in some capacities. It has gotten bigger and longer in other places. And then you go to bed and do it all again. Yeah. Um, I know that's incredibly vague, but that's also very accurate. Um, I know the things that are pressing, whether it's for sponsors, whether it's for untapped, whether it's for uh, coaching. I know that there's sort of the, there's, there's, you know, there's a tripod of life. Um, and if any one leg is going to go out of balance, yeah, you can maintain that for a little while, but then you can't do that for an extended period of time. And for me, that, that tripod is work, which is basically everything we've just talked about. Family, 
and some sort of recreation, some sort of outlet, some sort of, uh, whether it's collecting stamps or riding bikes. Um, and so sort of coincidentally and conveniently, and it's not always sunshine and cinnamon, uh, there is a huge crossover in that, in that my work is riding a bike, my recreation is riding a bike, and my wife loves riding a bike, and it's a huge part of her work-life balance as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's made me a better communicator with her. I think in a previous life, I just sort of do the dude thing of quieting down and go for a bike ride, whereas now it's, yeah, how can we fit things together? How can we be a team um how can we be a team a family uh you know we work uh, we work together every day especially because we work from home all the more under a microscope amid covid um but as i say this i see her walking our daughter from 100 yards away through the forest and it really ain't that bad have you have you actually found just in terms of this balance um some real like benefits of the of the covid lifestyle i mean you're you're on a, a a huge van life trip right now i'm sure that was i mean as you said that was kind of due to covid you're not racing or you're not doing other things um mm-hmm. but does it is it in a weird way like a lot of people say like the slowing down the the time with family is actually helping the 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 life balance a little more that dynamic yeah mhm yes yeah, so i'd say I would say unequivocally, yes. And and it started with, you know, Hazel was born March 8th, and I think March 10th was when Vermont went into lockdown. And so having that time at home with her uh, was just a tremendous blessing. And, and if I weren't doing that, you know, I, I, I might be rushing off to a particular race. Um, up until the very last minute, I was considering doing Mid-South. Mm-hmm. Um so, sorry, there was a neighbor about to drive down our sweet parking <laughs> parking path here. Um, and, you know, Laura and I would be balancing things elsewhere, and I'd be going to the untapped office on, on not any sort of immediate regularity. But basically, it's, it allowed us to be a family unit so much more, so much more cohesive, so much more uh, quickly, so much more just out of necessity. Or not necessity, I mean, because everybody's locked down. Um, and yet, because we didn't, especially because we didn't, we don't know people who have been adversely uh, affected in an enormous way. I mean, we can look at this all from our two eyes, from our four eyes, positively. And, you know, there is tremendous suffering and rife in the world and and you know whether it's economics or losing a loved one or, or dying we just you can't help but consider yourself very blessed right now so you know that said i was talking to my brother recently who's uh he's a resident in psychiatry and i hear this more and more often there is just sort of this depression that's going throughout the globe um especially as there's no um, there's no end to what we're looking at now with the pandemic. Right. I mean, we thought it was going to be a couple of months. We thought maybe next year. I mean, you know, people talk about now, okay, so-and-so event, 2021, it's going to be on the calendar. And it's like, eh, don't be so yeah. quick to guess that's going to be the case. And who knows? You know, I am forever an optimist. I hope we're back to normal next year. But um, yeah, there's... 
I think there is a, an element of being real with ourselves and, and, and I think opening up lines of communication is only going to help. So to a degree, as many zoom calls and, and Google hangouts that are going on. Yeah. That's going to make you call somebody that we weren't going to call another time. Uh, be it your mom or your cousin or your uncle or your best friend who you haven't talked to in a decade. Like I think that's all for the better well, for our mental stability. Yeah. I mean, if it weren't for the pandemic, I mean, originally we were kind of sticking to very local athletes, um, local companies, local events. Yeah. And as soon as the mm-hmm. pandemic happened, we we're like, well, we have to do things via zoom. And then it, it was almost kind of this mutual. I think the thought kind of crossed our minds at the same time. It's like, well, if we're doing this over zoom, we can reach out to anybody because we don't, ha- <laughs> we don't have to worry about sitting down with a, you know, to have a beer with somebody and, you know, say California. And then it totally. was, and so honestly, if it weren't for the pandemic, I think we would have, it would have been a very much slower growth to our podcast where mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was just kind of this, we can ask anybody. Yeah. And, yeah. and we've had some just great conversations with people because of it. So it's, it is kind of, I guess you kind of have to find the positive in, in so much of the negative. And of course, like recognizing how, how negative uh, COVID affects all of us, but also um, there is, there are positive things that we can. Well, and we, we actually passed you on the Vasa trail uh, the day before Iceman. And that, like that evening at dinner, we were talking about, Oh, it'd be so huh. cool one day to, you know, talk to Ted King. And then, you know, earlier <laughs> this year, we've, we've talked with Katerina Nash and uh, Alexi Vermeulen actually has turned out to be a pretty good friend of ours now. Um, nice. I actually had to drive out and help him on the side of the road a couple of weeks ago. He, <laughs> he got a really bad flat and couldn't get his tubeless back on the rim. And uh, I work at oh, a bike, sh- I work at a bike shop and he messages me. He's like, Sheldon, are you in Lansing right now? It's like, yeah, shot me where he was. I was like, dude, you're a mile away from me. Went over there and got his tire That's back hilarious. on. And, but it's, nice. it, I mean, if it weren't for the podcast, all these, you know, conversations and friendships that we've kind of built, uh, you know, kind of, you know, with all these different athletes and ambassadors to different brands, it's, it's been a very interesting project, uh, project that we kind of started over a couple beers last summer. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, you mentioned rooted, and Rooted mm-hmm. Vermont, that's uh, the event that you and your wife, Laura, put on. And mm-hmm. your uh, inaugural year was last year, so this would have been your second year. Um, Correct. And it's, like, you kind of mentioned this, you, you, it's, it's I, tough to kind of talk in these hypotheticals of 2021 or 2022 or whatever. <laughs> but, so, yep. but let's do it anyways. <laughs> sure, so, jump so, right in. So you are... Um, I'm, I'm assuming if, if things are better, you are planning on holding it in 2021. That would certainly be the plan. Um, can you tell us a little, I say a, that, a little bit about the, sorry, I, I interrupted you, but just a little bit about oh, the, the course and the event itself. And yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, th- there should be no reservation of anybody being excited and signing up and all that good stuff. We, we are anticipating a a good year next year i mean basically we in january of 2019 laura and i had batted around the idea for a while of hosting an event um we'd moved to vermont uh, a year before i'm going to forget if that's correct i always forget what year we moved um but we have been asked to to create event in a variety of places we lived in the bay area in california before and that was a decently saturated market Whereas, not just, I mean, Vermont has a ton of great gravel events. 
what we really appreciated about doing it in Vermont is is the community of people um, in Vermont, our neighbors, our friends, the people who came and literally helped us unpack and move furniture the day we drove into our driveway. That sense of community is something that we really wanted to show to the, the general global cycling community. Um, just this, this really cool friendliness. Um, and so year one, 550 people, uh, sold out, sold out in, I think a couple weeks. And it was just a, it was just a party. We, we subscribed to and created the phrase mullet protocol so that, you know, we in the gravel world can appreciate that at the front of the race, it's going to be hard charging, but the race is about the party. It's about the party at the finish. It's about the, the cuisine. It's about the, the, you know, be it local food or beer or just hanging out and, and shooting the shit afterwards. Um, so we got super excited about 2020 and sold out 900 spots in, I think, uh, 10 hours um, wow. or less. I mean, it was, you know, it was, we obviously had momentum. And so it's, it is a huge bummer that we were uh, forced to cancel, but that's certainly the trend <laughs> in this year of the pandemic. Um, what do we got? We are in the heart of Vermont. It's literally two miles from where Laura and I call home. Um, it is the, the former HQ of Untapped, the sports and tourism company that is based on maple syrup. So we're riding all around the Vermont maple trees. Um, I say former only because we outgrew that original space. So we are now located down the road. Um, we have a 40, I'm going to say this wrong, 48 mile and 82 mile option. Um, we roll out in mass and you know, we just highlight everything that's good about riding bikes. Uh, the gravel in Vermont, you know, we've traveled all over the country, all over the world riding gravel and Vermont is, is unique. It's totally different than what you have in Michigan. It's different than mid Atlantic. It's different than South Colorado, high Rockies, California. Um, it's a state that has more gravel roads than paved. So it's also kind of just a way of life back there. Um, it's freaking awesome. Rootedvermont.com. Check it out. It ends up, I mean, the event is on a Sunday. And so, we, you know, we roll out, uh, big rollout with everybody at the same time, Sunday morning. We make it, we want it to be a whole weekend party, assuming that, you know, sure, we have plenty of people who are local, be it Vermont or New England, or folks who drive up from New York City or Mid-Atlantic. But we had a huge draw. I want to say we had 40 plus states um, come last year. And so, yeah, we want people to come for the entire weekend. There's a party on Friday night. There's a, there are a handful of, rollout rides and an expo all day Saturday. So it's, it's hitting all the things that are, that are needed in the sport. Um, put it on your calendar for first weekend in August, 2021. That sounds perfect. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so in Vermont and the other uh, East coast States, are you seeing kind of, uh, so I think last year was the first year that we had an actual organized gravel race series here in Michigan. And this year, I think oh there God. was something like 14 races throughout the season. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Just kind of pooled together. And, you know, uh, um, our friend Matt Acker uh, rides. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he just, he and his wife just dove into it and got all these different races into uh, an actual organized schedule. Are you seeing mm -hmm. that pop up in other states, such as out in Vermont? We, short answer, no. There's, 
what's really nice is there's a there's a huge sense of camaraderie among the event promoters mm-hmm. uh we do each other's events we ride each other's events we promote each other's events um you know you talk to each other with questions you say hey i'm considering having a camp or whatever on this particular weekend is that going to interfere with anything uh there's no consolidation there's no series there's no points um i like matt a lot and i i hope he has nothing but success the the concept of points to me gets a little bit uh politicized i mean Mm -hmm. I think I think with that you start going down the the avenue of incredible seriousness and and this thing that I don't really want to see in gravel, but the you quote, know that's quote unquote roadie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in short, you don't want road racing off road, mm-hmm. and that all sounds familiar. That said, <laughs> I mean, one event that I was going to do this year uh, was the Gravel Cup up in Canada. Um, that's Canada's first gravel series. Um, it's out in. Oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed to say this. Ontario? Yeah, I think, I think it's in Ontario. Yeah, because I think um, one's over actually just on the other side of the bridge of in like near Windsor, kind of by us in, that sounds in the, right. the Detroit area. Yeah, yeah. And again, for, for COVID, I would have been up there and, and there's, there is an inevitability to it. So, you know, why not do it right and why not do it well? Um, that's a long-winded answer. Do we see the point system <laughs> in Vermont? Do we see consolidation? No, but for sure it's it's happening elsewhere. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that there is a point system, at least here in Michigan. There's a point system. There is a I, – I see it more of like motivation to go to all these different races. And they're, they're hmm. there, and they have them, and why don't we kind of put – kind of connect them in some way to make sure that people are experiencing – all these different I, I see it more of just like promoting michigan gravel racing and yeah um, but you, at the at you the, do see a subset of people that do kind of carry over certain aspects of road racing but well, I, I do agree that the, the i will say system. you you have full-on teams coming to and treating it like a road race so there there is both yeah. sides of both sides of that you know i was with all these races especially like popping up recently and sheldon mentioned like there it seemed like here in michigan at the beginning of this year in january there were you were having trouble finding uh, a free weekend starting starting in the spring going all the way into the fall and i had kind of like a worry at that point of is the gravel bubble about to burst and is there like an oversaturation of i mean you had a new event after new event after new event popping up well now mm-hmm. i'm it has nothing to do with the the gravel economy it just has to do with everything that that some of these it may be they, they may be correcting themselves i don't know but i mean do you have a sense of that i mean what it, i i know it's all kind of odd right now but um do you think there's more let me ask it this way is there does gravel still have room to grow i think I think so enormously. I think, from what I understand, there's about 700 events coast to coast in North America, um, gravel events. And you look at trends from USA Cycling and, and Bike Ridge and elsewhere, and you know the trend of gravel is it continues to grow. At some point, that'll reach its, its peak, and whether that's in 2020 or 2025 or who the heck knows, um, we're going to see that in, in hindsight. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we see, I feel like we're seeing a lot of rogue events pop up, um, sort of in spite of COVID or, or because of COVID. Um, you know, there are anything from, I created this thing, DIY gravel, where it's, this is my event schedule and I'm going to ride the event distance on the event day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something like that has been enormously popular in amid the, the virtual event world. Um, and then, you know, you have other events that are canceled, but then people still get together, including the event organizers and, and host sort of like a mini event, um, surrounding their own event, if if that makes any sense. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Dirty Kansas, what, 35, 3,600 people. It's limited basis, the number of folks who can get in. So, you know, maybe you see a lot of events pop up on Dirty Kansas Day because maybe you're new to gravel and you live in Maine and you weren't going to go anyway and and it costs a lot to get out there. And and maybe in three or four more years you're going to go, but let's do like a mini DK day in Maine. So, you know, I'm completely making up that little hypothetical, but I feel like it's more and more just sort of pop-up rogue events that that were the what created gravel in the first place. Um, the grass uh, grasshopper adventure series out in in Northern California—they've been going on for like 22 or 23 years, and they're they're what you'd call gravel now, but 23 years ago you'd call them a small underground group ride. And so, like, you're seeing this full full circle taking place um and i think there's still plenty of room to grow you know the oregon trail event the oregon trail race that happened in 2019 like you don't see a lot of stage races rebecca's private idaho super cool stage race i was going to go out there and race that over labor day that avenue has has potential um obviously the grinduro model is is a really popular model of doing segmented uh segmented parts within a day Mm -hmm. so I make the comparison to micro brews a lot. Like, yeah, you might have thought that we were in the the zenith of micro breweries um, five years ago, and then you know people are still making really good beers in their basement. And they're growing them, and and it's not until you try one out that you say, you know, this is this is really good. I I think that's a a good answer. That's the answer I would I hope to be the case. Um, I think a lot of us are were really concerned um, after we kept seeing event after event after event being canceled uh, this year. That uh, what's this going to do to some of our favorite races, some of our favorite um, events that really hold together the Michigan cycling scene? You get kind of concerned about how sure. how that's all going to play out. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, some of them are, are are big enough. I think they'll have some staying power. Uh, funny enough, now we're we're actually seeing some of these smaller events that maybe don't have don't have hundreds and hundreds of people. Maybe they only have less than two hundred people, so that they can actually get kind of creative in how they run the event itself. And actually, we have had a couple races and waves and things like that where if it was a Barry Roubaix or an Iceman that just so many people, there's no way they can be that creative. Um, but then sure. it, it also this time has also given us um, things like exactly like your DIY gravel, um, where it gives us all a, a chance to still, I don't know, compete within ourselves or compete with others virtually or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe something that 
maybe an opportunity we never would have even thought of before. And it, you know, kind of took this whole thing to, for us to see that as like a viable option of, no, let's just go out and, and do the, do the same distance and do the same elevation. And, uh, Mm -hmm. did, uh, from, from our perspective, that, that whole DIY gravel thing look, looked like it, it went over really well and it really motivated people. From your perspective, how do you, how did you, <laughs> how did you feel that that went for? Um, I mean, it was it was really cool to see on on that big of a level to try to like rally the troops and say no, let's let's all go and like keep riding and keep keep adventuring and and, and uh, so from your perspective, how did that all go? It. it smashed my expectations um you know i thought from the very beginning when i first put it out if i had a dozen people sign up i'd be happy um we had a few hundred in the first round we've had a handful of i forget three thousand folks sign up continually new people signing up um in every event so it's still it's going through the year i mean the whole point was to do it as long as events are canceled um wearing my untapped hat i handle a lot of uh events that come our way when you know they're looking for nutrition sponsorship and so it was you know the sad reality is we get note after note after note hey our event is canceled we're doing a virtual event hey our event is canceled we're trying to do a virtual challenge um and so i feel like early on i was i was just sort of i don't want to say over um, I was very aware of how many virtual events were going on. And so I thought that would sort of kill the, kill the vibe and kill the enthusiasm, kill the, kill the motiva- motivation that people were going to have for these virtual events. But I continue to get notes when people sign up for whatever the latest event DIY gravel is, how positive they are about them and how the notes that say something to the effect of the you know, Thank you, Ted, so much. If it weren't for DIY Gravel, I wouldn't be riding my bike. I wouldn't be out of the house. I wouldn't be um, meeting up with my friends and going for a ride. So, you know, like any one of those stories is enough to be like, yep, that was worth it. That was awesome. I'm psyched somebody found that motivation. Um, and, yeah, there are, there are at this point, hundreds of those notes. So it's, it is really cool. Um, there's a... Who we can't even begin to fathom and guess what the coming year is going to be and do. And yeah, you hit it on the head. There's a lot of not DIY gravel, but DIY event. Um, how do we create some fun amid an unfun thing and be it waves racing or, or individual time trial racing? Like obviously people are, are chomping at the bit to get back out in community because I think that's, that has shown us sort of more than anything that we as a as a society are a social group well i think you really hit that on the head uh, with the comment of you know finding the fun and i mean i think all of us can say going to a race is extremely fun and racing is extremely fun but i think this entire situation is gonna is enabling us to kind of hit this reset button of kind of falling back in love with the bike. Uh, Trevor and I just recently have been talking about doing a bike packing trip and what would normally be kind of a packed portion of the season. And I, I think we're going to kind of see it across the board. Obviously, there was at first this huge wave of disappointment, and then there's that wave of 
kind of boredom of in just you know watching things get canceled but now i think it's kind of giving us a chance to you know turn off your garmin per se and just go out and have fun on your bike Mm -hmm. yeah there's there is i don't know the metrics of it i i imagine there are a lot more uh panniers being sold a lot more uh, i work in a bike shop you know yes, there i mean are. <laughs> okay okay i mean I, you know and we just we all hope that people are using them yeah. um so yeah i think i think exploration is is key and is king right now um that was my whole <laughs> diy gravel dirty cans where i rode the whole length of the state of vermont oh my god um it was it was so, all in pouring rain too like wasn't like the majority yeah oh that was it was a tiny bit miserable the, the irony is i delayed the trip 24 hours because on a forecast i was choosing the much drier day and it was supposed to rain for like <laughs> a, a you know a passing half hour shower and it rained on me for like six hours <laughs> and then i just rode into this storming headwind for for the entire day it was that was a test of my my mental capacity as much as anything. But in hindsight, it was freaking awesome. That's that was the whole uh, like the XL version too, right? I mean, it's like three hundred and what fifty. Yeah, I got a, it. It ended up being three hundred and ten miles, and then it was funny because I was doing it in conjunction with the help of the race formerly known as Dirty Kansas. <laughs> but then they're like, "Well, you can't actually call it DKXL because it's not three hundred fifty miles." I'm like, "Whatever, I'll just." <laughs> I'll call it VTXL. <laughs> well, perfect. Ted, this is this is fantastic. We we appreciate it. Um I wanted to I, I just I just wanted to real quick uh thank you for uh you threw around that term ambassador and I know ambassador gets thrown around a lot and like it's easy to be an ambassador of something on Instagram if you, you know, promote it or whatever. And there's ambassadorships here, ambassadorships here. But like, I think of the term ambassador and I think that you are the perfect ambassador for gravel. Um, you just, uh, you're at the front of the race or you're at the back of the race doing things and uh, having conversations, having beers with people, motivating people with DIY gravel, creating incredible content to get people motivated. So I appreciate what you're doing for for everyone and uh and then i appreciate for, the, uh, for giving us the time here to talk with you uh before we do go uh one of our listeners back in uh november called in and uh this was around the time of ice man just afterwards uh andy <laughs> andy richardson called in oh yeah, yeah. and uh so payson had a dnf mm-hmm. he's got a podcast mm-hmm. uh i think you had a dnf you have a podcast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My single speed kept rolling, and he said that we won the battle of the pods. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if there you're ever go. back here in Michigan for a race, we would love to, you know, after the event, have a beer with you. But uh, yeah, I, I just kind of want to throw Andy's little <laughs> quote out there. That was pretty good. I like that. I was wondering where that was going. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Iceman has just recently had to cancel. Is they, that right? they did. Correct, yep. They did. Okay, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, did. Did that event last year. That was awesome. Um, were it not for some <laughs> unforeseen circumstances, I am confident I would have done very well there. Um, which is, I realize those are big words and and not backed up by, by any kind of result. <laughs> but congratulations on uh, taking the podcast podium. Um, 
<laughs> and yeah, what you'd said prior ambassador, that is the, the highest form of praise I've ever heard in terms of ambassador. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome. And again, thank you. And uh, hopefully we will we'll see you at some sort of real life event. Hopefully sometime. Maybe 2021. Maybe, maybe 2021. <laughs> but before then, just uh, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your van life trip. Thank you. Thank you both very much. We really appreciate it. Uh, and take care. Have see you around. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast, email Dirty Chain Podcast at gmail.com, or call our hotline at 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. And of course, thank you to Mr. Ted King for taking time out of his vacation and van life to have a conversation and to be on our podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean. But get your chain dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack. <laughs> <laughs>